Guys, let's do this. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to wrap up the series that we've been in called Better Together. There's a lot going on in our nation right now, our country at large, the world at large. There's so many things that are, that are tearing at us to be divided, not just as people, but even specifically as Christians, as the church. And so last week, we jumped in with the very things that we should consider essential to the Christian faith. What are the things that we should actually know how to fight for? Instead of fighting about and for things that might not be that significant, what are the things that we, in fact, do need to fight for? And we need to wrestle with one another about. Obviously, there are issues. But there are also just things that we call doctrine, theology, which we don't often talk about anymore in Sunday morning environments, but we are today. We did last week. We did the week before. Because the reality is what you believe matters. It has significant impact on your life. So let's do this. We're going to pray. We're going to further ask God to be here to open our hearts and minds and really grow us as believers. Father, we pray even now, Lord, after a powerful moment of worship, God, we're asking for your presence to to lead us and guide us and, and that you would speak to us today. God, speak to us. God, maybe not in an audible voice, but in ways that we can understand that we know is you. Convict us. Compel us. Drive us a little crazy, God, with conviction. God, that we might grow to follow you more fully. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week I came out guns blazing and was really ambitious and thought I'd preach through four points, which I don't even normally do. I'm not a point preacher per se. But boy, we came out last week and I got through one. So I'm going to try to get through the other three today. And if I don't, no worries, I'll blog it and I'll send it to you that way. But in either case... We're going to talk today about other things that are essential to you. But before we do that, how about we just share a little story together? It's Thanksgiving after all. And no, I'm not talking about the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special or the Christmas special, although legendary in their right. It's this time of the year that we celebrate Thanksgiving. We celebrate a group of people that we call the pilgrims, getting on a boat the Mayflower, and setting sail for what we now call America. But oftentimes, if, you're, if you went to a public school, if you went to a, 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 a non-private university, a public university as well, oftentimes you don't get the faith side of the story mixed into the equation. And so we hear a story about a group of people who fled England due to religious persecution. That's not actually very accurate. You and I are missing a great deal of history regarding Thanksgiving. History that matters. You see, the pilgrims were known as the separatists. And if you, if you don't know the story, right at the beginning of, right as the Thirty Years' War is beginning, 
There's a lot of persecution that's taking place. Catholicism is, is the religion of the day, and, and, and so there was a, politics was involved, by the way, there was a strain on the church, the young church, the Puritan church, to become more Catholic. And this is, this is no bash against Catholicism or anything of that nature, but long story short, there was a group of people that, that were praying for God to purify the church, and then there was another group of people called the separatists who said, this thing's gone to hell in a basket, we've got to start something new. And so they started another church that wasn't Catholic which, by the way, was against the law. And so persecution struck the church. And so what they decided to do is leave. But where did they leave for? It wasn't America, like many of us think. They left for Holland, and they lived there for 12 years, free to worship God how they saw fit in the purest way that they felt they could do. There were doctrines that they held near and dear to them, one of them being such as Jesus alone can save you, works cannot. And in order for them to faithfully worship God, they felt like they needed to move. And so they moved to Holland and they practiced their faith there, but life was still very hard. Many of them were practicing trades that they weren't gifted in, weren't trained in or skilled in. And so this young church began to pray about what God would have them do. And lo and behold, they felt compelled by God to get on a couple boats and sail. And I want you to read this with me or, or hear this as I, as I quote it. Actually, I'm not going to be able to quote it because I didn't write it in my notes. That was spectacular, Andy. Nicely done. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to paraphrase it, and then I'll post it on social media. Leader of the Pilgrims, his name is William Bradford. And we get the inside scoop on why the Pilgrims set sail for America in the very first place. We don't have to draw conclusions. We don't have to somehow try to connect the dots we know specifically because of the journals and the diaries of the men and women who set sail, 102, I believe, that got on boats and sailed for over two months. I also believe many of them died. Half of the crew died getting here. And the driving force that set them adrift in the waters, including a pregnant woman, might I add, if you fell in the water, you were dead within three minutes because it was so cold. Yet people were so gripped and so convicted and so convinced that they needed to move, they did so because they were haunted by the realities of a land filled with people that had not experienced the good news of Christ. You're not going to hear that in your history class. And yet you can read it word for word. This is why they set sail. This is why we have the very first Thanksgiving. 
This is why when they finally survived the first winter, when they were taught how to grow crops and when they were taught how to, how to survive here, they were able to get together with 90 Indians, sit at a table and say, God, thank you. And the initial heartfelt uh, pursuit was the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. That is an amazing story that oftentimes you don't hear all the details about. And so as I was reading that in the, in the, the days prior and the weeks prior, thinking about this message in the series we're in, Better Together, you've got to be together if you're going to get on a boat. You're going to brave the cold. You're going to brave death. You're going to brave potential murder. You've got to know what you believe and why you believe it. And in the comfort of our American, now American Christianity, many of us have grown up in ways where we have simply adapted the thought processes and beliefs of people, parents largely, and we haven't actually thought about why we believe the things we believe or what we're supposed to believe in the first place. And so our church right now, not this specific one, but but the church at large is one where young people in particular are blown left and right. You get your theology like the common cold. Whatever's just kind of blowing through the day. But God would have you believe certain things that are essential to the Christian faith. So essential that it might convict you to go share the gospel with somebody. That the fire of the Holy Spirit would burn inside of you to do something great for God. 1 Timothy 4.16, this is a young man, Paul, the, one of the greatest apostles that we see in Scripture. He says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Doctrine is important. What you think has utmost importance to your life. Right thinking leads to right living. In other words, what we believe affects how we live. So let's do this. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to break into a couple things this morning. You guys ready? You live? You thankful today? Anybody, as you're turning in in the Bible to Philippians chapter 2, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Anybody ever dropped your phone in water before? Oh, yeah. yeah. Jacked your phone up? What'd you do? There it is. There it is. Put it in a bowl of rice. By the way, this is free, guys. If you don't know this, you're getting a free tutorial on what to do with your smartphone if you drop it in water. If it gets in water, you get a bowl of rice and you put it in. What does it do? It sucks all the moisture out of it. All that stuff that doesn't need to be in there. And so this morning, while, while, while I'm going to do my best to bring life to this conversation, the truth is I'm doing it in a way that I'm, I'm hoping to not lace it with unneeded emotion today. I'm not trying to just pour the stuff on here. I'm actually trying to pull the emotion out of this conversation and give you real life tangible truth that you can sink your teeth into and take to the bank. 
Because there's a lot of emotion wrapped around a lot of these conversations, especially nowadays. We're very sensitive, overly sensitive. And so I'm going to come out and I might hit you hard on a couple things. And if you're bothered by that, have a great Thanksgiving. <laughs> come on. All right, guys, here's what we're talking. Last week, we spoke about the authority of Scripture. If you didn't hear it, you can listen online. You're not going to be lost today as we, as we take it into round two. But the truth of the matter is, one of the things that gets lost nowadays, that we, we, we forget to think about, that men and women used to go and have literal conferences about hundreds of years ago. They would debate about, they would talk about, they would pray about, they would write books about the deity of Jesus. We don't even use those words. Deity. Are we watching like the mummy returns? I mean, what, what, what is this? We don't talk about deity very much nowadays. But understand that one of the most essential pieces of the doctrines of Christianity, I'll use the stool for an example. Last week we spoke of, of the authority of Scripture as if it's this leg. Well, this leg right now is the deity of Christ. And if you pull that out of this stool, when you go to sit on it, you're going to be in real trouble. You begin to lean a certain way and you're going down. This is what uh, Paul writes in Philippians. He says, who? This is Jesus. Being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Now, when I was growing up, there were a couple shows that I loved. He-Man was one of them. That's right. I was an 80s kid. And so He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was my jam. You did not mess with me when He-Man came on. I had literally, you know, the, the, if, if you're familiar with the little chest thing and the sword and the shield, I had it all. You know? and, and what He-Man would do is that when it was time for He-Man to transform from Prince Adam into He-Man, he would take that sword out, he would lift it high, and he would say, by the power of Skull." dot, dot, dot. Now, I know some of you who were in very, very spiritual homes were not allowed to watch that show, but I was, and it was awesome. But sometimes when we talk about Jesus, we frame him like he's He-Man. As if somehow he's God, but disguised as a man. He's disguised as Prince Adam, kind of like the Clark Kent, where if you remember the original Superman movie, he, he blocks the bullet that's going towards Lois Lane, but he's not hurt by it, but he pretends to be hurt. He looks like a man, but the reality is he's Superman. And when something bad happens, he finds the telephone booth, does his little spinny-spin deal, and becomes Superman, and he's off to the rescue. And when we speak of Jesus, and we speak of the deity of Christ, oftentimes we, un we mistakenly think and portray Jesus as either all man or all God, as if he's just fully one, when in reality is he's fully both. And we don't talk about it much and the implications of what this means to you. But understand, I'm going to drive this thing really down deep today. 
Because when we don't understand that this leg of the stool is built on the fact that Jesus Christ is both man and God, we miss the beauty of the gospel. Jesus, who was in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with him something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I want to share this with you. I may just sit right here right now. The gospel is this. You sinned and I sinned. And there's ultimately nothing you can do to repair a broken bridge between you and a holy God. If you remember from Genesis, you have Adam sinning, and the scripture says that by one man's sin, he brought sin and death to all humanity. But also, by one man's righteousness, he will bring life to many. And so when we speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him being fully man and fully God, in order for you to be made right before a perfect and holy God, you and I need a sacrifice made for our sin. Look around you for a minute. Anybody watch the news? Most of you don't because it's depressing. Is it not? It is. It doesn't take a scientist to look around and say, things aren't, things aren't right. This isn't right. You look around the world and we, we can clearly see that things aren't right, that there is brokenness in this world, brokenness in our hearts. And what and who has the strength and power to restore and repair that? Well, a God, but a God that doesn't just come as Superman, not a God that just steps down from their Mount Olympus. And if you recall from the scriptures, many times when the apostles would move in the power of the Holy Spirit, what did they think had happened? They thought it was a Greek God that had come to visit or a Roman God. And they would try to worship them because this is their understanding of God and how he interacts with humanity. He comes in the perfection of of God from Mount Olympus with the thunderbolts to nuke whoever needs to be nuked and to bless who needs to be blessed. But Jesus came in a very different way, didn't he? He humbled himself, stepped out of the perfection of heaven, and he clothed himself like you and I. He faced every single temptation that you and I face. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. Nobody else does, but Jesus does. He felt the weight of temptation, the weight of pain, the weight of separation with God, yet he had done nothing wrong. He was fully man and lived a perfect life so that you and I might be redeemed from the curse of our sin. 
because none of us could do what Jesus did. But it wasn't that he was just a man because he had eternal and holy blood also coursing through his veins. He's both perfectly and not perfectly, but he, he is He's the fulfillment of man and the fulfillment of God stepping down. He's both. And this is one of those, those moments where we have a difficult time wrapping our heads around it. And it's why people have debated it and talked about it for hundreds and hundreds of years. And why men and women much smarter than you and I have helped put this together in such a way that the church moving forward could know without a shadow of a doubt that by eyewitness testimony, this Jesus who you and I pray to was both fully man and fully God. And that perfect sacrifice that died for you is what gives you the ability to have a restored relationship with God the Father. Nothing else. Yet we forget it, don't we? I try to work my way into this situation. You showered the front row, sorry. P.S. If you're a guest, the front row sometimes is what we, it's a splash zone up here. I can get a little passionate, sometimes spray a little bit while I speak. Jesus can give you the strength of one who has been tempted. He can also give you the strength of the one who has overcome. Hebrews 2 says that since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, which are you and me. For this reason, he has to be made like them fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So here's the reality, guys. What are you going through today? Addiction? Marriage problems? Parenting issues? In need of healing? in need of grace, in need of a restored relationship with God, carried and weighed down by sin, I've got great news for you. The hope of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, both fully man and fully God, stepped out of heaven and into this earth and died for you and I. And that good news gives you the hope that whatever you're going through, you serve a God who is merciful. And whatever you are going through, you serve a God who is good. And whatever you are going through, you serve a God who is gracious. And whatever you are going through, you serve a God who is powerful. You are never hopeless because of what Jesus did for you. The other leg of this, and I know I'm running out of time already. (laughs) I thought for sure I'd get through all this. I just turned my stool around. Is what salvation looks like and means. People have fought over this for hundreds of years. 
And as you sit around the Thanksgiving table, this is one of those moments for you to be thankful. But what is it that you're thankful for? That you mustered up the good works to put yourself in God's good graces? Or is it Jesus Christ and what he did for you and that he did for you alone that has saved you? Because one of the essential doctrines, ladies and gentlemen, is that Jesus Christ, well, I'll say it this way, salvation is found in Jesus alone. Or another way to say it is that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Think about it for a sec. Majority of Americans, 52% of those who are professing Christians believe that at least some non-Christian faith can lead to eternal life. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, oh, this is so boring. Well, it shouldn't be boring, and here's why. Because over half the people who say they follow Jesus have a deeply rooted misunderstanding of what it means to be saved and to follow Jesus. This should bother us. This should bother you. Not to somehow get the troops and go to war against people who don't think like you, but that we should be gripped to begin having these conversations. The reason we can believe that Jesus isn't the only answer for salvation is because we don't understand the implications of a Lord and Savior who is both fully man and fully God who died for you. And if you don't understand that, well, why doesn't it? Well, sure. Islam is fine. Or whatever religion you want to pick. It doesn't have to be that one. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Acts 4.12 says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. My sister, who lives in Columbia, Tennessee, just got a real, a great new job. She's working in the criminal justice system now and I won't go into all the details of what she does but you don't want to be on her bad side let me just put it that way but we were talking about just justice at large and I want you to understand this because one of the common themes or the common things that we hear about in our sensitive age right now is that how could we possibly it's so mean to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. How arrogant and prideful. How angry and mean you must be. But I want you to hear this, and then I'm going to switch the tone for just a second. Because when you, as a, as a violator of the law, me and you, when we break the law in our, in our justice system, well, you would be arrested and you would be brought before a judge and the court case would play out. And that system would decide what course of action you take to make that injustice right. 
Meaning the one who has made the infraction doesn't somehow get to call the shots on what it looks like to make that infraction right. And yet that is what so many of us want to do and our culture wants to do. The reality is we don't get to call the shot. The one who has designed this in the first place is the one who gets to call it. And he sent his one and only son that you might put your faith in him. It isn't up to you and I to decide whether we like that avenue or not, so we'll choose one of our liking. No, that's not how this works. We serve a God, and that God is holy, and he is righteous, and he is perfect. And if you look around, every single one of us can see that there is sin in the world and that things are broken and not functioning right. Well, what does the God of heaven and earth have to say about it through the authority of his word? Well, he says that my son is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through him. There's no other name like the name of Jesus. There's no other name by which men can be saved. You can't somehow change the scale and let your good works somehow outweigh the bad ones as if somehow that has cleaned up the inside train wreck that's happening inside your heart and soul. Only a God who is fully man and fully God can do that. Who knows what you're going through. Who's able to extend mercy and kindness. And it's that mercy and kindness that draws you to repentance. And as you put your faith in him, God Almighty gives you a new nature and breathes life into you. It's a beautiful picture. It's an amazing thing. And we are better together when we have put our hope in the gospel and understand that the authority of the scriptures, God is speaking life to us. When we understand that Jesus Christ is both fully man and fully God, when we understand that it's by his saving grace and his grace alone that we are saved. And the one I didn't even get to, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus didn't just stay in a grave. He arose victorious because sin had no grip on him. He could not be held down like you and I would. But in his perfection and in his strength and in his might, he arose again because the consequences of sin is death. But when you have no sin, guess what you don't have? No consequence. So there was no death that could hold down the Holy One. And he arose victorious as your Savior and as my Savior, the only one with the strength and power to change our city and to change our church, to change our families, that is the God that we put our faith in. 
And if we begin to lose our hope and trust in these anchors, then we begin to lose our hope in everything. Because it all rests on those pillars. Amen. Thanksgiving time. And one of the things that we're going to do at our table this year is not only just give thanks for the things that we have, but we're going to make a very deliberate effort out of our lips to thank Jesus for what he has done for us. It isn't just that you have a family, or it isn't just that you have a job, or it isn't just that you have a good church, or that you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or that you're married or have kids. That's great. But the ultimate heart of gratitude swells from an understanding of the true gospel, the essentials, the things that make us Christian in the first place. And so my encouragement to you in this series that has been unique for us as a church is not that it would just be information to you, but that it would allow transformation to take place in a deeper level in your heart, that you would walk in deeper trust and deeper faith, that you would be hungry for more of his righteousness, that you'd be hungry to be in his word and in the scriptures and to know Jesus more, to be fully fastened and anchored in your trust of who he is as your Lord and Savior. That you'd be thankful. 